today we're bringing you a special live event that we recorded remotely on May 7th. This session was part of a larger conference on health reform in the Biden era hosted by the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania and United States of Care. We've edited the recording lightly for length and clarity, and there were a few places where the audio sounds a bit zoomy. We hope the next time we bring you a live event, you'll hear real audience members clapping, clearing throats, opening chips, all of those little things that we've come to miss so much. Until then, please enjoy this virtual debate about the future of employer-based health insurance. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. So let's focus on the place that 150 million of us turn to for our health insurance, our jobs. 150 million is more than 10 times the people insured through Obamacare and double the number on Medicaid. When it comes to the cost of employer insurance, though, premiums for the average family are up 50% over the last 10 years and deductibles are way up too. In terms of access, Half of all businesses don't even offer coverage. Today, two policy experts are pitching two very different employer insurance fixes. After that, we'll get reactions from a panel of employers and bring back our two experts for their thoughts and your questions. Okay, our first pitch, pre-recorded, comes from Penn Law Professor Allison Hoffman. The recipient of that pitch Stanley Azuri is the proud owner of a large racquetball manufacturing company played by Tradeoff's own Andrew Perella. The fix Allison's pitching is a public option for employers. Firms and workers still chip in to cover the cost, but the federal government sets the rules and the payment rates to hospitals and doctors. It's modeled after Medicare with some tweaks. And it's optional, but if an employer chooses that plan, it's the only plan they can offer. Here is the conversation with Allison and Stanley. Allison, thanks for coming in today. I just got a few questions for you. So there are a couple of things that really drive me nuts about health insurance plans. The first is cost. I'm a racquetball manufacturer, and my premiums bounce around more than these P57s. So is what you're proposing going to save me and my employees money? Stanley, thank you so much for inviting me to meet with you. And I, I hear you. You're not alone. One of the major pluses of the employer public option is that it would save you money and the hassle of having to worry about health care prices increasing in the future. If today you pay for 85% of your employees' health care costs, you would do the same under the employer public option, but it would be 85% of a smaller number because it would be based on Medicare rates which are half of what you pay today. Even if the employer public option paid one and a half times Medicare rates, you'd still save money on every item and service that your employees use. And Medicare has controlled healthcare cost growth, so there wouldn't be surprises for you in the future. Now for your employees, it could also cost them considerably less. If you could imagine the ACA style subsidies rolled up into the employer public options, it would mean that some of your lower income employees who have struggled to be able to join your health plan would be able to do so under the employer public option at no cost to you. Well, that's some good news for my folks. Uh, but the other thing, another thing they're really concerned about is choice. Every time I make even the smallest change to our health insurance, 
my workers start sweating more than I do on the court. Uh, you know, is their doctor going to be in the network? Things like that. Allison, what kind of options uh, are my workers going to have? Yeah, Stanley, let me first just mention one thing about choice for you, which is that the plan is voluntary for you, which means that if you think it's good for your business, good for your employees, you can choose it or not if you don't, just like you choose whether send packages via USPS or FedEx. Now, for your employees, we think that it increases choice in the dimension that matters most to them, where they can go for care. The employer public option would benefit from Medicare's vast network, and your employees in turn would benefit as well from the vast network of doctors and hospitals, any of whom they could go to for care. Now, Allison, I didn't start this company 20 years ago to get into the health insurance business, yet here I am juggling you know, premiums, plans, all the rest. Is what you're pitching me any simpler? Absolutely. You would be freed up from that annual process of having to, to look at and compare different choices among health plan options. You would just re-enroll your employees in the employer public option if you're happy with it. And for your employees as well, they wouldn't have to wade through this complex um, maze of health plan choices every year that probably don't make any sense to them. Also for them, it means if your employees leave the job with you, there are a couple of ways that they could take their health benefits with them. They could take it if there were an individual public option or if they moved to another employer who also offers the employer public option, which would make their job transitions simpler over time. Well, this all sounds great, but I got to say, Allison, no one has ever served me up an ace of a health insurance plan. So what's a downside that I should be thinking about here? Yeah, one downside for you is that you wouldn't retain control over the details of the plan. I know you've worked really hard to customize benefit for your employees. They're athletic. They want access to the best sports medicine services, and you've really provided a fancy plan for them. And they might not get all of that through the employer public option. So you'd have to either manage that transition for them, or you could top off the benefits and provide that for them in addition to the employer public option. Either way, over time, we're pretty confident that your employees and you will love this plan once you get to know it. Well, you've given me a lot to think about today, Allison. Thanks for uh, taking a few minutes to chat. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so the second pitch comes from economist Brian Blaze, a senior research fellow at the Galen Institute and the Foundation for Government Accountability. He's pitching an idea that already exists in law, but is not well known. It's called the Individual Coverage Health Reimbursement Arrangement, or ICRA, and that name might be part of why it's not so well known. Um, Brian helped craft this policy during his time on President Trump's National Economic Council. With ICRAs, employers set aside a fixed amount of money for workers. Each worker then uses that money to shop on the Obamacare exchanges where they can pick any available plan. Let's see what Stanley thinks of the ICRAs. Brian, thanks for coming in. I appreciate you taking a couple of minutes to chat with me about this. So look, these health insurance prices, I hate to say it, but they're kind of a racket. Is this plan going to save me and my employees any money? Hey, Stanley, it's great to be with you. You know, it's the number one concern that small business owners have is high and growing health care costs. The individual coverage HRA offers another option for those employers. So it's voluntary. You only do it if this is best for your employees. Um, and in many parts of the country, this is going to be a good option for your employees. They can get a lower premium health insurance plan, which gives them better value. 
And you can take the savings um, from paying less for your workers' health insurance and increase their wages and maybe even bring in more workers into your racquetball factory. As I was telling Allison earlier, choice is also a really big deal for my workers. We got a saying around the factory here, sometimes you want the blue one and sometimes you want the green. What kind of options are my people going to have? You know, the choice of two colors of racquetball is more choice than tens of millions of employees have over what type of health insurance they're going to have for themselves and their families. You know, nearly three quarters of employers that offer health insurance only provide their workers with a single type of plan. And think about that. Workers are different. We know people have different preferences. They have different preferences over premiums, deductibles, networks, whether they want an HSA. Um, what the individual coverage HRA is, Stanley, it's the 401k of health insurance. You provide the contribution that is tax-free, and that worker takes that contribution and uses it to buy the plan that works best for them and their family. Brian, I got to say, one thing that's nice about racquetball, it's simple. You either hit the ball or you don't. Not so health insurance. I can't even remember the name of your plan. How complicated is it? So it's the individual coverage health reimbursement arrangement. And for you, it's much simpler. So you don't have to get involved with picking the plan. You don't have to worry about the annual renewal process. Um, you don't have to worry about many meetings with your HR department over how to structure it. You set your budget. You decide which employees you're going to cover. And you can offer full-time workers and part-time workers different options. You set the contribution amounts, and then you hire a vendor. And there's a lot of vendors that are working with employees so that they can use this individual coverage HRA to pick the plan that works best for them. Brian, you see this? This is 57 millimeters of perfection, a proprietary blend of polyethylene terephthalate, dihydrogen oxide, and good old-fashioned vulcanized rubber. I'm sure that your plan is not as flawless. So what am I not going to like about it? Well, you know, it's not as easy as setting up a manufacturing process to produce those racquetballs, right? There's definitely trade-offs with offering health insurance. Um, in many parts of the country, uh, premiums are high for individual market plans. And those plans don't cover a lot of uh, hospitals and doctors in those networks. So, you know, workers in those parts of the country, the employers, this might not be the best decision for them yet. The good news is that the individual market is improving. There's more insurers coming in, and I think there's going to be greater uh, choices over time. But right now, it might not make sense for employers if the individual market is really weak uh, where most of your workers are. Well, you've given me a lot to think about, Brian. So thanks for coming in and, and chatting for a few minutes. Thank you, Stanley. All right. Um, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Stanley. Uh, unfortunately, Stanley had to run to a racquetball match, so we're bringing in some real employers to hear what they think of these ideas. First is Suzanne Del Banco, CEO of the nonprofit Catalyst for Payment Reform that represents large employers like Home Depot, Walmart, and other healthcare purchasers like Cowper's. And then we've got Shondell Newsom, who is the founder of 
some new marketing and co-chair of small businesses for America's future, and uh, Sheila Savageau, who drives health benefits for General Motors as their U.S. healthcare leader. Shondell, Sheila, uh, Suzanne, thank you guys so much for taking time to join us today. We're really excited to have you. We know you're all very busy. So um, let's get into this. Sheila, we're going to ask you the first question. When it comes to this idea of an employer public option, a government-run plan where the Fed set the rules and the reimbursement rates, from the larger employer perspective, what's one big thing you like and one big thing you are not sure about? Yeah, so the one thing I do like, Dan, is the fact that it's choice, right? So it's not a mandate where everybody's going into it. I think the one thing that I do struggle with is even by having choice in place, you know, as a as an employer, we take a look at our benefit programs in general and specifically healthcare, and we take a look at it from a total rewards perspective for recruitment and retention. And so I would tell you the biggest concern I have is not having the flexibility to actually drive what we want to have within that plan itself. So I think losing that control from an employer standpoint is the, actually the biggest disadvantage in my mind. And one super quick follow-up on that, Sheila. When, when, when you talk about that, that, that loss of control, can you just give one example of something that you all at GM are trying to do that really is sort of, in your all's mind, uh, a push for good for the workers? Yeah, absolutely, Dan. So if I think about it, we always take a look at healthcare and we connect it to overall well-being, right? And so when I lose control of that and everything that I think about, whether it's the diabetic, you know, how do we address them from a pre-diabetic phase before they ever get to type one or type two? How does that come into, you know, what I call the overall strategy with our wellness program or overall well-being around emotional support, uh, you know, social support, financial support? And so we kind of thread that all together. And I feel like when you have this, what I call choice option, where you're going to leave things, you know, with the uh, one option with Medicare, you kind of lose the advantage of that because it's not an integrated model at that part. You've just broken it apart. And so I think being able to really get the data that we need, really understanding what I call the health of the uh, employee and the dependents themselves is something that we focus on constantly. Great. Thanks, Sheila. Really appreciate it. Sean Dell. When it comes to this idea of the individual coverage, HRA, this ICRA, where employers give workers money to go shopping on the Obamacare exchanges, from the small business perspective, what's one big thing you like and one big thing you are not sure about? Well, what, what I like about it, Dan, is the fact that you do um, allow the employee to have tax-free uh, um, coverage, you know, tax-free benefit from the standpoint of um, their contributions similar to a 401k. What is tough for small businesses is um, what they alluded to in, in, the, in the conversation was the cost. At the end of the day, if, if we keep talking about health care and all these different options, it doesn't matter if the small business cannot afford it. I mean, we, we just struggle with cost. And, and, you know, my wife handles our HR in a small business. Just we're small family owned business. So at the end of the day, it always comes down to cost for us. And just to try to put a, a, a point on that, Shondo, about the cost, can you give us a sense, just a quick anecdote of how cost has sort of squeezed your business? Sure, Dan. Yeah. You know, one of the things that people don't realize about small businesses is we're always squeezed for profit. And, and depending on your type of business, your profit margins get smaller and smaller. 
So it, it's it's a matter of um, how how much can we afford to keep to keep money going to even keep the doors open. If you one of the things that the pandemic did with um, last year was really expose how much cash flow small businesses do not have. You know, most of us have not even a couple of months of reserve. I mean, I've been in business for 15 years, so I've gotten a little sharper at it. And because we have consulting services, it's a little bit different. But I feel bad for the restaurant owners. Like every time you add an additional cost, it just squeezes them and squeezes them out of business. So your favorite little donut shop is getting hammered with more costs every time. So not even so much for me, because, you know, like I said, well, we have we have a bit more flexible uh, uh, um, system, but I feel bad for those folks that have very, very small margins. At this point in the event, we had some technical difficulties. So I'll paraphrase my question to Suzanne Del Banco. I asked her if employers are ready to embrace radical changes to their traditional insurance offerings, and if there's more hunger for that kind of change now than in the past. Well, you know, I get to work with sort of the cream of the crop who are very aware of, you know, the fact that they are spending more and more and not getting more for it. Um, and they're also aware that how they buy healthcare impacts the value that they get. So, you know, what I would say is that I, I really love the idea of the employer public option anchoring itself to Medicare prices because we know that there's a huge divide between what the commercial market pays and what Medicare pays. And, uh, you know, we've seen evidence that there's room for ratcheting, you know, the commercial payments down. Um, my worry is that most employers who try something new or radical like to add it as a choice next to the thing that they've been offering all along. And, if they're forced to give up that opportunity, they may say no. Um, I understand why, you know, one would want really strong enrollment in this plan, but um, I'm afraid that might turn some employers off. I think on the flip side with the with the ICRA, um, that just rolls off the tongue. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, in certain states, like where I live in California, the marketplace is very strong. And I would, you know, feel very comfortable suggesting to my employees that they get care through Covered California. But for national employers who want to create something that's sort of common across all their employees, it would be a really tough way to go. And, uh, you know, I think um, maybe not every marketplace is as focused on quality as Covered California is. And Suzanne, you've been in this business of thinking about employers and their thoughts around healthcare for many years now is something changing is there is there a kind of frustration with as Shondell was talking about with prices and 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 I think Sheila alludes to this too uh, in, in wanting to have that control, both of what they're saying is sort of can be distilled down to this concern over prices. How is that concern manifesting itself now in 2021? Yeah, I think um, the way it's manifesting itself right now, I think, is in two ways. One is that we've hit such a breaking point in terms of the affordability for the average American um, that we are recognizing that Americans are willing, perhaps for the first time, to make a trade-off between choice and affordability. 
So this idea that everybody has to have access to every provider that you know was talked about positively as part of the employer option, uh, public option, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing when you know that some of those providers are poor quality or way overpriced or create, you know, uh, excess services so that they can have uh, more revenue. So um, I think there's a recognition that employees might be willing to have their choice restricted if it means more affordable care. I think the other shift that we're starting to see is that as decades have passed by with more consolidation among healthcare providers and prices rising and continuing to rise, and we now know that prices are the biggest driver of healthcare cost growth, there's more openness to the idea of government, whether federal or probably more likely state, coming in and trying to make the marketplace more functional with some kind of policy, you know, around prices. And, uh, you know, most employers shrink at the idea of government intervention, but they're on an uneven playing field and they're recognizing that more and more. That certainly squares with some of the reporting, Suzanne, that that we've been doing at Tradeoffs this year. And, and I want to throw that idea, Shondell, to you and to you, Sheila, and each, each of you to take a, a, a crack at that. Do you find yourselves more open to government involvement now than you were a few years ago? Are you feeling in yourselves a, a, a sort of shift? Shondell, let's, let's start with you in part because of that amazing jacket. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. So, uh, you know, I am going to say this. It is all about what my employees need. If, you know, we were all in when, when we were told that we were going to get shot, you know, during the Obama administration, we were in. We were like, okay, cool. We'll, 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 we'll join in. We love this idea. We love this concept. But there always seems to be a glitch or something that gets in the way. One thing we do not like as small business owners is bureaucracy. Um, we don't want to slow down. So we want things to work when it needs to work, make it happen when it needs to happen. And we want the best for our employees. That's that's where the challenge is. Chondell, I think you said it well. I think if anything, you know, Dan, from my perspective as employers, and I think that Suzanne can attest to this, uh, you know, I'm a jumbo employer. I'm out there with my jumbo friends going, okay, let's accelerate this vision on value-based care. We are not slowing down. We are not waiting. I would say that we are leveraging what we see out of CMMI, CMS, and some other things, especially around value-based care. I think what we've done for far too long is we've said, okay, employees and family members, you guys decide where you want to go. I think what we're seeing is they're going, you guys know this better than we do. Where are those high quality providers? Where are those best costs and help to direct us? So I would tell you that as employers, we're accelerating. I'm with you, Shondell. We are not going to slow down. We are not going to wait. However, what I do think from a governmental perspective, and we're the same, we're not here to, you know, play politics across the board at all, but I do think it's important, regardless of what side you're on, to really inform as policy is being developed. You know, here's what I've said about the ACA. The ACA did a tremendous job at really providing coverage for all, but I feel like we need to take a step back. And there's a lot of reform that needs to take place in healthcare before this expansion can take place. I don't care if it's ICRA. I don't care if it's public policy. If you don't have that in place, guys, it's going to fail. And it is. We've got to have reform before we have expansion again. I appreciate it, Sheila. I, I really want to follow up though on this question of um, evolving thinking. You, you describe yourself as one of the jumbos. Do the jumbos want to see government, the federal government, get involved in a way now that you didn't really hear from other jumbos five, ten years ago? 
I would say it's a, I think it's a little different, at least the tables that I sit around with my jumbo friends. And I, and we've always said that we can't slow down. So we're going to go market by market. I may not have enough presence in certain markets, but I, I call it phoning a friend and my friends in the employer community too. And I've even reached out to the brokers and the consultants to say, hey guys, you're in the small and mid market, but you have volume. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a jumbo or not, but we really need to make this change. So do I think that we're waiting on government? Absolutely not. Do I think that we as an employer community are going, we hope the government does some of these things, you know, whether it's okay, let's take a look at pricing. Let's take a look at the way quality is being set and have some of these national standards. Absolutely. And I think as an employer, the other thing that we're looking for, instead of just pushing along in policy development, come to the employer community because Dan, you said it best, 150 million Americans, you've got to have the voice of the employer sitting around that table to help influence some of the policy that's being developed. When we come back, we'll pose some audience questions to Allison Hoffman and Brian Blaze. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today, we're listening back to a special presentation we made last week at a conference hosted by the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania and United States of Care. At this point in the event, we brought back Allison Hoffman and Brian Blaze to respond to the employer's comments about their two ideas. Allison, let's just start with you. Do you have any thoughts or responses to what came up from our employer conversation? So I have, I have a number of thoughts, but I want to start by just kind of pulling back the lens and thinking about the fact that we have a larger systemic problem and the employers are one piece of that. So we pay twice as much as our peer countries do on healthcare and we get worse outcomes. We get, we have lower life expectancy, higher infant mortality, worse subjective um, experiences with the system. And as this past year has shown us, we have an equity problem as well, right? Some people can get healthcare they need and others cannot. So, so, you know, historically the employer piece of the system has been the strongest and it is starting to crumble as well. Employers are really struggling. And so the question is, can you start to fix this for employers? Can you start to address some of the problems that they're facing with escalating prices? And also looking 10 years out, create a foundation for a stronger system. So that's really the goal of what we're trying to do and to do it in an organic and incremental way where you put something out there that we know is good. We know Medicare works, right? So you put something out there based on Medicare for the employers who want, they can try it. They can be the, um, you know, the, the kind of the partners with the with the government to test and see if it works. And if it works, then you roll it out more broadly. And at the end of the day, if it, if it works as we anticipate it, it would, it makes a system that's better for both the employers because they not only don't have to, to manage the escalating healthcare prices, but they get out from under the regulatory burdens of having to run their own health plan. 
um, and better for the employees at the end of the day because they have something that gets them access to good care and they don't have to go broke from it. So, you know, I, I listened to um, to Sheila and I think like she's she's a unicorn, right? She's an innovator. She's trying to do something great in this space. And not not all employers want to do that, first of all. And even the ones who want who are really having a hard time innovating on their own. We saw that with Haven Healthcare, right? We see three of the biggest the biggest jumbos, right? The giants in this space who come in and together can't make it work. And so this is an offering to to employers to say, here's something that we think will be really good. Um, do you you know do you want to give it a try and uh, and and help us you know and and to work with the government to refine something that might really help employers, help employees, and foundationally improve this financing system going forward. Thanks, Allison. And, and, and Brian, do, do you have any uh, thoughts, reactions uh, first to, to what some of the employers were saying? Yeah, I thought, uh, thanks, Dan. I thought the panel was uh, very interesting. It was great to hear their perspective. Um, I do think that some of uh, what Allison is proposing is going to be extremely difficult to get through the political process. So just to uh, start on the individual coverage HRA, it's been in place for a year and a half, right? So we work through political issues. Employers have this option now. And there's a lot of flexibilities with the individual coverage HRA where employers can start by offering it to, say, part-time workers um, and see how that goes. Offer it to just new hires and see how they like it before expanding it to sort of the broader uh, part of their workforce. Um, the employer option, I think it, it sounds great. Well, let's just pay Medicare uh, rates and we get lots of savings for that. That's going to run into a buzzsaw among uh, providers, hospitals, doctors who don't don't want to be paid uh, Medicare rates. And there's also problems with um, sort of this structure of government setting all the rates that there's a lot of rigidity, um, bureaucratic uh, resistance to change. Uh, lobbying pressure that comes in with how rates are set. The private sector, when it has flexibility to set rates, they're going to be able to cover new services. They're going to be more flexible and innovative with their approaches. Um, individual market rates uh, right now are somewhere between Medicare rates and uh, sort of where employer group plans are. So employers can get more affordable coverage um, by offering the ECRA. Now, we talked about some of the trade-offs. Uh, traditional group plans are going to have broader provider networks. Um, but the individual market is improving. Uh, and this is really a way to increase the simplicity for employers where they're out of the traditional health insurance game. They're just setting the contribution uh, for their workers. And the workers finally have choice. You know, I mentioned this in the intro, but three quarters of employers that offer plans only provide a single option for their employees. You know, think about what other major financial purchase that people buy where they only have a single option. Thanks, Brian. And, and, and Allison, I'm, I'm curious. This is, this is a question that um, uh, Tradeoff's first episode in, tw- in the fall of 2019 was, was talking about in part about the public option. I mean, there's, there's continued to be, at least in some quarters of the country, uh, continued sustained interest in the public option. And one of the big challenges, as you know, has been this question around how do you get providers to go along with this? And I know, you know, you guys are talking about charging, you know, paying at 150% of Medicare rates. As you've contemplated and, and, and 
design this idea? What is it that you think is going to bring providers along being willing to accept lower reimbursement than they're per- currently getting? Dan, I think that one piece that is key here is that we're we're on an unsustainable path right now, and um, and something is going to happen with escalating healthcare prices. I mean, providers are enjoying it now; they're consolidating. The prices will continue to go up. Post pandemic, we may even see that accelerate. And as we see these trends accelerate, there is more and more pressure to address it in some way. I mean, this is Suzanne; uh, her work has been thinking about how do you put price controls in the system. And so the key is to offer something where it is a concession um, on both sides, right? You're paying somewhat more than Medicare rates so that so that it's not kind of wiping out the revenues that the system um, is enjoying right now, but is um, is also a, a reasonable response to this price escalation, which is going to come in one form or another. So I think as the writing on that wall gets clearer and clearer, there will be more appetite among the provider community to find something that is a, that is a middle ground. You know, I want to say that um, what Brian was talking about earlier is, you know, looking to the individual market as a solution in this space. There's no reason why you couldn't use um, the employer market and set prices similar to where the individual market is, right? So you could have these um, employer plans paying something less than what they do now and more than Medicare rates, which would be that kind of compromise. So I I would never suggest that um, any kind of health policy reform would uh, would be simple because we know anything is contentious in this space. But I think that the, the key is to find, you know, where is the compromise, understanding that reform is going to happen in one way or another. Th- thanks, both of you guys. And so let's try to get in a, just a couple of questions. And so I'm going to ask both of you guys to be brief in your answers. Brian, we've got the first question for you. It's from Tia. Uh, thanks, Tia. What would you like to see the Biden administration do to improve the health and robustness of the state marketplaces that the ICRA would send people to? Great question. And I'm going to start by saying for health policy to be durable, it pays for it to be bipartisan. And the great thing about ICRA is our Republicans love it because it moves the subsidy, uh, moves the control away from the employer to the worker. And Democrats uh, generally support it because it's about increasing enrollment um, in the individual market. So I think steps can be taken uh, to provide some additional improvement to the individual market, uh, some amount of deregulation could occur, uh, some potentially high risk pool funding uh, where you're subsidizing the cost of people who are um, extremely expensive. And right now they are covered in the individual market as one of the reasons that premiums have escalated so high, uh, so largely. There's issues that are very technical around um, the ACA's risk adjustment program, um, which I think need uh, uh, could, could be addressed. Um, there's potentially ways that you could combine the employer contribution with a government contribution for lower income workers. Um, really, this is, I think the option that I'm presenting here is actually more consistent with where the Biden administration is going um, than what we're hearing on the public option. Like they are right now focused on building on the ACA and think there's a bipartisan way to do this. Thanks, Brett. Uh, Allison, uh, last question to you here. It is from Ted and Molly. Um, would there be a role for private insurers in running this public option like there is for Medicare Advantage, or how would this play out in the real world? That's a great question, and uh, I, th- I think that the the ideal solution would be to start off based on traditional Medicare. Roll it out like that, see if it works. 
you know, Medicare Advantage and private insurers have been testing innovation in the Medicare space for decades now, and the jury is still out on uh, whether they're offering something that is better than traditional Medicare. So my own personal preference, and obviously this could, you know, this could go any way in the political process, would be use the piece that we know works to test it. And then if Medicare Advantage um, and private insurers prove themselves over time, then, then you know, allow that to be part of the system as well. Great. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Brian, so much for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. And that brings us to the end of our live show. If you want to learn more about the ideas discussed, visit our website, tradeoffs.org. And if you want to hear more about what other employers are doing about the cost of healthcare, check out our episode from February 18th this year. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. of Americans still are not convinced they need to get the COVID vaccine. This has employers wrestling with an unprecedented question. Should they require their workers to get the shot? Employer mandates are just really rare. This has never happened before at a Target or an Applebee's or a Walmart or what have you. We return to the research corner to help employers weigh the pros and cons of vaccine mandates. Next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs, keep in touch with us between episodes by signing up for our newsletter. Click on the link in the show notes or on the big orange button at the top of our website, tradeoffs.org. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at TradeoffsPod. The Tradeoffs team is producer Ryan Levy, Chief of Strategy and Operations Jessica Silverman, Operations Assistant Jamie Song, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman. Additional thanks to Slow Clap Productions, Rachel Werner, Tracy Chupik, and Sammy Curley. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped support our work, including Judy and Roger Wallenstein, Corinne Silverman, and Stacey Dusitsina. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, West Health, the California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institutes for Healthcare Management, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoff staff, advisors, or funders. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.